This is the first day of this November 2019 seven-day session. And uh, before we get underway with the text before us, uh, I just want to say a few things about uh, session. And first is uh, what what it is we're really doing in session, what we're trying to do in session. Uh, we're practicing at detaching from thoughts, which is another way of saying we're practicing at maintaining awareness, which is another way of saying we're practicing at uh, dwelling in direct experience and not in our thoughts. Uh, Now, we may come to Sashin with bodhicitta, the aspiration to enlightenment, and that is a, a great asset to, f- to have fueling one's practice, the aspiration to come to awakening for the sake of all beings. But it's not something we want to be thinking about in Sashin. And it's a thought. It's not going to go away because we're not thinking about it. Once we're here, the practice is direct experience, being fully present, which means not dwelling in thoughts. Now, of course, that requires that practice requires noticing when the mind has wandered into thoughts. That's step one, noticing. And then once we notice, then going right back to the breath of the koan or just um, letting go of the thought in the practice of shikantaza. Maybe this is all already obvious to people, but it still leaves me uh, marveling at the at the power of Sashin because we're doing so much sitting, uh, nine, ten hours, ten if you count Teisho, ten hours, and then some people do more than that, 12, 14 hours. Because of all that sitting, we get better at noticing when the mind is in thought and redirecting, letting go or redirecting our attention to the practice we're working on. So we're practicing. It's, it's practicing uh, also for life outside Sashim, which will be enriched tremendously to the degree that we can refrain from getting snarled in our thoughts. That's what this is. This is a kind of a laboratory, laboratory under ideal conditions for learning to let go of our thoughts. Because the only, the only reality is this direct experience, this. It's not in our 
dust, the dust of thoughts. When we are free of thoughts, when we're in a, in a state of no thought, then we are dwelling in truth. Such a, such a philosophical word, but I don't think such a bad one. We are, we are living in reality and not some echo or shadow of reality, which is uh, thoughts about it. So here's a prime example. Uh, when we're absorbed, let's take the koan mu. When we're absorbed in the koan mu, then uh, that's entirely different than sitting and thinking about our practice, thinking about how we're doing, trying to chart our progress or lack of progress. That's all just, that's just the shadow, the, the dust. But actually being absorbed in mu or the, or the breath or the realm of no thought that is shikantaza, that is the actual practice, the, the living thing. Not thinking about ourselves practicing. And because we have misused the mind for, well, basically our whole lives, because of that, uh, it keeps wandering. We keep, we keep having to, we have to practice at it the way we are. It takes a lot of practice. Ox herding. The ox strays. We notice it. Pull it back. Pull the attention away from the thoughts. Back to no thought. Which means the feeling of while washing the hands, the sensation, the soap or the water on the hands, food as we're chewing and swallowing. That's, that's the realm of no thought. A couple of other things. Uh, one of the, um, the key features of Sashin is, is Kinin. Uh, I think there's something like 13 Kinins we have each day in Sashin. And uh, it's important to not waste time during, during Kinhin. So two points that I've started mentioning to people about Kinhin is, um, first of all, not unnecessarily wandering out to hang out at the water table. Uh, you know, of course... Only you, only each person, participant, can know what that means, and no one else can. But uh, if you notice that you are frequently going out uh, to get water, you might ask whether really that's necessary. I think some people just get in a habit of just sipping and, and loitering there, sipping, looking around, maybe looking out the window, um, you could do it. It's the kind of thing that we're, we're not going to try to uh, enforce it, uh, anything. 
because that's your business, but it's not a good use of, of keening. Instead, to, to keep the practice continuous through the walking is is really is what can fortify uh, our practice, and and what that also means is uh, having the self discipline to maintain a taut, disciplined walking all the way around the zendo, because what some people do is once they they get around the corner from this, uh, where the people are waiting in line to join the king. Once they turn that corner, then they can get uh, slack and uh, even look out the window. I've seen this. They don't. They think that the the monitors and I are not uh, monitoring, and so they will get careless. Look around, scratching and fidgeting and doing this and that. Oh, you can do that. We can't. It's not the monitor's job to enforce everything, but is that a good use of keening by looking around, checking out the fall colors? We have spent lifetimes involved with objects, visually involved with objects. Here we have the chance to close down that involvement just for this week. It's not something we want to do after Sashin in our daily lives and all, but, but, but it's, this is part of the ideal conditions that can work for us in Sashin. It's maintaining the strict discipline. Because when we look around, almost inevitably, we're inviting thoughts into the mind. Oh, what a beautiful fall day. I wish I were out there. Or, um, gee, I wonder uh, how much longer the leaves will be. Da, 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 da. Or noticing the sky. It's dark, cloudy, and is it going to rain? Or, oh, what a beautiful blue sky. Or These all just... Just it lead us into trains of thought very easily. So if we want to get the most out of this week, then to keep the eyes down all the time, except uh, as necessary during meals. Sometimes you have to look look around to know what to pass. But uh, and of course in Doksan, in Doksan. I always encourage people to not be attached to either uh, looking up at me or looking down, having the eyes always down. Uh, but just sometimes I think it's the most natural thing is to uh, feel free to look up sometimes and also to have the eyes down when you don't need to be looking up. Although um, some of what a, a teacher uh, is presenting or offering uh, is is is, vis- is visually you need to see uh, the teacher. So I'll leave it to each person to work that out, but not to be attached to either looking up or having the eyes down in Doksan.
And I have to, I have to say something about those two giant, magnificent lotus sculptures that uh, were uh, lowered by Crane five days ago, six days ago, in the courtyard here of the Chapin Mill Complex. As you can see, uh, we have a lot of work to do to finish the area surrounding these two sculptures. But they're a pair, in case anyone can't see it already. It's a pair. The, there's the, the positive and the negative. The positive is the uh, convex sculpture as above ground, showing the lotus. Lotus, of course, being a symbol of of purity, a symbol of our of our true nature, and then its complement, its pair, uh, is the uh, sunken lotus uh, that will have water in it uh, when it's once it's done. So we have here on display these two sides of reality: the form and the emptiness. If you think of of uh, water as the formless, re representing formlessness, or or the the absence of uh, above ground structure as uh, the emptiness side. I'm going to turn now to a text uh, I've read from quite a few times in Teisho, but not not for the last few years. Uh, it's um, teachings of a Korean Zen master, Chinul. Chinul is spelled C-H-I-N-U-L, Chinul, which I may or may not be pronouncing right. And the book is called The Collected Works of Chinul. And it was uh, translated uh, by uh, Robert Buswell, Jr. I met him at a, at a conference a long, long time ago, maybe 30 years or more ago, 35 and was very impressed with uh, his, uh, not just his uh, intelligence, his keen mind, but his dedication to the Dharma, his seriousness of purpose. This is a great, great work that he has given us. It, it occurred to me once that if I were on a desert island, uh, like they show in the cartoons, if I were on one of those desert islands and I was given only one book, this would be one of the ones that I would consider choosing. It's just packed full of uh, insightful exposition of the Dharma. It's a big book. It's uh, not counting the, uh, the bibliography and the index and, and the glossary. It's uh, some 400 pages and an unusually wide uh, format, not the regular width pages, but but wider. <clears throat> I'm going to pick up where where uh, my favorite chapter in this book, which is uh, before I get there, just uh, a little bit about Chinu. He's um, 
considered kind of the uh, the way nung, the Korean way nung. Scholars say that Zen as we know it uh, really originated uh, from Wei Nung, the sixth patriarch in China. We we say Bodhidharma is the founder, uh, but it became uh, thoroughly East Asian uh, through the sixth patriarch. Chinul has that kind of stature in Korea. He's one of the uh, Korean masters who we are folding into what will be our new ancestral line um, because of his uh, remarkable accomplishments. His dates are 1158 to 1210. So uh, just some frame of reference, uh, he was, uh, Dogen was 10 years old when Chinul died. I'm not going to try to read his lengthy biography here. I've can take up quite a bit of time. Um, but I'll just mention a few things about it. He's born into a family of the gentry class. His father was an administrator in the Royal Academy, so he comes from a very uh, elite background. Uh, as a, as a boy, he was, had a weak constitution and was plagued by serious illnesses. Uh, after uh, all attempts to cure him through conventional medicine had failed, his father, in desperation, decided to call upon uh, the Buddha. He vowed that if his son was cured... <clears throat> He would have him ordained into the Buddhist order. Then it says, soon afterward, the illnesses are supposed to have vanished, and keeping his vow, Chinul's father had his head shaved at the age of seven, and, and Chinul received the precepts when he was 15. He was given the name, the Buddhist name, Chinul. Later, he himself referred to, he referred to himself as Moguja, which means the ox herder. So he had quite a quite a rigorous background in academic in, in uh, scholastic studies in Buddhism. The uh, account here, this biographical account, describes three awakening experiences he had. Um, they don't read, all three of them don't read um, like the realizations, the enlightenment experiences that we're used to hearing. Uh, and they're very much um, involved in, in his reading. These happened when he was reading, one of them at least. The first one I'll read 
by chance one day in the study hall, he was looking through the platform sutra of the sixth patriarch, and he came across a passage, the following passage, the self-nature of suchness gives rise to thoughts, but even though the six sense faculties see, hear, sense, and know, it is not tainted by the many images. True nature is constantly free and self-reliant. That's the passage he read, and then it says he was astonished, overjoyed, at gaining what he had never experienced before, and he walked, got up, walked around the hall, reflected on the passage while continuing to recite it. His heart was satisfied. And then he says, from that time on, his mind was averse to fame and profit. He wanted only to dwell in seclusion in the mountain ravines. Bearing hardship joyfully, he aspired to the path. He was obsessed with this quest. So here, this is very unusual, not, not unheard of, but unusual, in that the, the triggering, the trigger for this awakening, if that's exactly what it was, was uh, reading. Uh, and uh, this isn't as as hard to believe as it may seem. Mostly, we hear about uh, awakenings triggered by sounds or uh, the the monk being struck. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, the fragrance of a plum blossom. Uh, in this case, it was reading, but really uh, the intellect is considered in Buddhism one of the sense organs. The eyes, ears, nose, mouth, body, that is the uh, tactile, and the mind. Mind in this case meaning the intellect. Uh, so it's, it's rare for an awakening to be um, precipitated by reading, but Here's a case of it. And then the comment here is, this experience was Chinul's true initiation into the Dharma. In all his future writings, Chinul would stress the need for an initial awakening to the mind nature to ensure the consistent development of practice. And he went on to read further into the Platform Sutra, um, where it said that you need to support the initial awakening with the simultaneously simultaneous cultivation of samadhi and prajna, and the concurrent development of alertness and calmness of mind. Let me just elaborate on this, because... He went on to stress this throughout his teachings, uh, the cultivation, the simultaneous cultivation of samadhi. Samadhi <clears throat> means absorption, uh, absorption uh, to the point of self-forgetfulness, complete fusion of subject and object. 
This is something within reach of everyone here in this Zendo this week. It's reaching this state of absolute oneness with a practice. Samadhi and prajna. Prajna is uh, um, wisdom, transcendental wisdom beyond knowledge or learning. And the concurrent development of alertness and calmness of mind. Well, the calmness comes through samadhi. You can't be in a samadhi and not be calm. The alertness, you could say this is sort of the mindfulness aspect of, of meditation. We need to be alert to notice when the mind has strayed so we can bring it back. There's so much these days about mindfulness. Uh, I won't even comment on that. It's, it's everywhere. Um, but it's important to recognize that mindfulness uh, is not quite the same as concentration. Uh, concentration is what uh, ultimately becomes samadhi. It's absorption. Uh, mindfulness is different. These are the, these are separate uh, entries in the what are called the uh, the noble eightfold path. The noble eightfold path is is the way to liberation. Right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right mindfulness, right concentration, and right uh, mindfulness. In in Zen practice, we're really it's it's the it's the integration of concentration and mindfulness. Again, we need the mindfulness to notice. Noticing is another word for mindfulness. We need the mindfulness to notice when the mind has strayed. Because otherwise, we can spend the longest time lost in thoughts until we notice it. And then we can come back to resume the practice of concentration. After this initial experience, Chinul set off in search of a new environment in which to continue his practice. And then uh, three years passed. In his words, he says, three winters and summers passed before I came upon the simile about, and then this is a quote, one dust moat containing thousands of volumes of sutras. In the same sutra, uh, in the Avatamska Sutra, it said, the wisdom of the Tathagatas, the Buddhas, is just like this. It is complete in the bodies of all sentient beings. It is merely that all these ordinary foolish people who are not aware of it and do not recognize it. And he says, I put the sutra volume on my head. This is a, res- uh, a gesture of respect, placing ourselves beneath the sutra or beneath the raksu in the morning. I put the sutra on my head in reverence and began to weep. This is leading up to his second 
experience. But before we say that, um, well, this is, there's another source here. I can't get bogged down in all these different texts, but the message in the text is the difficulties a person encounters in en- entering into the ten faiths from the ordinary state are due to the fact that he completely accepts that he is an ordinary person. He is unwilling to accept that his own mind is the Buddha of unmoving wisdom. So until awakening, we believe, we resign ourselves into imagining, believing, that we're just an unlightened person. In fact, we are all equally endowed with this luminous mind of enlightenment. And, and, and here too, Sashin is our best shot at uh, yanking ourselves free of that delusion that we're anything but innately enlightened. And this is what uh, the second opening, uh, it's described here as the, his realization of the fundamental unity of Zen and the sutras. And this is what uh, distinguishes uh, Chinu, at least among the masters I've read, who distinguishes his teaching from, I think, all of the others, is his emphasis on how we can integrate um, Zen and the sutras. These are these are uh, in in the in the old Chinese monasteries. Uh, the monks were separated. They were divided into the sutra monks. Their practice was study, studying the sutras, and the meditation monks. But Chinuo emphasized that they can be integrated. I'm not sure that I've ever tried to um, integrate them in terms of the time I spend with them. Um, Often the danger, especially for beginners, is letting reading about the Dharma become a substitute for practicing the Dharma. And uh, we only have so many hours a day or a week, and uh, most of the masters emphasize the need to devote all of our time that we can to the actual sitting and practice. And then his uh, 
the third one, his third, what's described as awakening, um, was ten years into his monastic career. Um, he said, although I was satisfied with the diligence of my cultivation, cultivation just means practice, and did not waste my time, I had not yet forsaken passions and views. It was as if my chest were blocked by something, or as if I were dwelling together with an enemy. I went to live on Mount Chiri, C-H-I-R-I, and found a passage, again, his karma with the, the written word, I found a passage in the records of the Zen, of Zen master Da Wei, which said, Zen, I'm saying Zen, but the, the text here says Son, S-O-N, that's the Korean word for Zen, just as uh, uh, Chan is the Chinese word for, for Zen. But I'll, I'll just say Zen. Zen does not consist in quietude. It does not consist in bustle. It does not involve the activities of daily life. It does not involve logical discrimination. Nevertheless, it is of first importance not to investigate Zen while rejecting quietude or bustle, the activities of daily life, or logical discrimination. If your eyes suddenly open, then Zen is something which exists inside your very own home. And then he just says, very matter-of-factly, I understood this passage. Then naturally, nothing blocked my chest again, and I never again dwelt together with an enemy. From then on, I was at peace. So, to rephrase this, not to be attached to sitting or, or silence, not to be attached to activity, not to be attached to anything, but seeing, seeing the, the ground of mind is one way it's been one way it's been expressed the fundamental ground that underlies all such um, dualistic ideas of activity and passivity silence and sound Chinul spent the rest of his life building um, meditation uh, refuges, uh, sanctuaries, and and uh, monasteries. 
I'll read. Uh, I'll finish up by reading here about uh, the the what 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 led up to his death, Chino's death. At a ceremony, he announced to the monks, "I will not be staying much longer in this world to expound the Dharma. Each of you should be vigorous in your practice." He seems to have known in advance uh, when he would die. He went to the bathhouse to bathe. His attendant asked for a gata, it's a verse. The master replied in a natural and easy manner. Late in the night, he retired to his room and engaged in questions and answers. I guess that's their version of doksan. Toward dawn, he asked, what day is it today? Someone answered, it is such and such. Then The master then washed and rinsed his mouth and donning his ceremonial dharma robe said, these eyes are not the eyes of my ancestors. This nose is not the nose of my ancestors. This mouth is not the mouth born of my mother. This tongue is not the tongue born of my mother. He then ordered the monastery drum struck to summon the monks and carrying his staff with the six rings, he walked toward the Dharma hall. He lit incense, ascended the platform, then struck his staff and mentioning the circumstances surrounding the questions and answers Uh, from the previous evening, he said, the miraculous efficaciousness of the Zen Dharma is inconceivable. Today I have come in here because I want to explain it fully to all of you in this assembly. If you ask me clear, unattached questions, this old man will give you clear, unattached answers. He looked to the right and left, and rubbing his chest with his hands, said, The life of this mountain monk is now entirely in all of your hands. You are free to drag me aside or pull me down. Let anyone who has bones and tendons come forward. So he's inviting challenging questions. He then stretched his legs and, sitting on the seat, gave answers to the different questions. His words were precise and the meaning detailed. His elocution was unimpaired. Finally, a monk asked, I am not clear whether the past manifestation of illness by Vimala Kirti and today's sickness of uh, Moguja, Chinul, are the same or different. The master replied, You've only learned similarity and difference. Then, picking up his staff, he struck it several times and said, A thousand things and ten thousand objects are all right here. And finally, supported by his staff, he remained sitting immobile and quietly passed away. He was only 52 years old.
And uh, that brings us to a juncture here in the Teisho, so we'll stop now and recite the four vows. <coughs> <coughs> I vowed above root Dharma gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha I vow to attain all beings without number I vow to liberate Endless blind passions I vowed above root Dharma gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha I vow to attain all beings without number I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain. <coughs> 